0: Good evening and welcome to Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Colin Schasperger.
1: And I'm Jesse Grubb. On tonight's show, we have new music, your LGBT news headlines, and the LGBTQ area event calendar. But first, joining us this evening for a feature interview is Josh Peters, president of the Indiana Stonewall Democrats. Josh, welcome to Blooming Out. Before we chat, we want to let our audience know a little bit about the Stonewall Democrats and Josh. Indiana Stonewall Democrats are the LGBTQ plus constituency caucus of the Indiana Democratic Party. They are committed to pushing for civil equality for the LGBTQ plus Hoosiers and accomplished this by endorsing, supporting, and voting for Democratic candidates that share their values. They have a vote on the IDP State Central Committee and direct access to the leadership of the party. As president, it's Josh's responsibility to set goals for the organization and ensure that those goals are serving the interests of our community. In addition to the usual political activities like gathering ballot signatures, registering voters, and voter contract, he has made it a priority to establish a truly statewide presence. Last year, the Stonewall Democrats had a presence at four Pride events in Fort Wayne, Spencer, Indianapolis, and Lafayette. This summer, they are expected to have a pre- presence at six Pride events, including Fort Wayne, Spencer, Indianapolis, Lafayette, and Evansville and Bloomington. Being the president of a constituency caucus is not a paid position, so Josh does this work as a way of giving back to the LGBTQ community, and hopefully improving the lives of all Hoosiers. So, Josh, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here.
0: Yeah, thank you uh, so much for being on the show today. Uh, We wanted you to go ahead and just uh, tell everyone just a little bit um, about the organization, if you could.
2: Sure. So, uh, as uh, I think it was Jesse said, um, you know, we're a constituency caucus of the Indiana Democratic Party, which just means that we're an officially recognized arm of the party that... That, uh, is you know, works closely with the leadership and is, has a voting position on the state central committee, which is where a lot of the decisions for the party are made. And um, you know, in Indiana, we've had a Stonewall group around for I think 15 or 20 years, um, but it's kind of it's kind of waned and great, gained in strength over kind of different cycles and depending on how kind of under attack we were. But uh, it, we really got geared up, and and I got introduced to the organization kind of as we were heading into the. H.J.R. 3 fight, which had to do with the constitutional amendment in Indiana to try to make marriage between a man and a woman, and then that became, you know, part of the Refra fight, kind of connected. So, um, you know, I, they, it's, it's meant to be kind of the, the conscience and the access of the LGBTQ community to the Democratic Party to make sure that they're recruiting candidates that, you know, stand up for our values and represent um, LGBTQ plus Hoosiers.
1: So how did you get involved, and how did you become the president?
2: So uh, I was working as the executive director of the Marion County Democratic Party, which is uh, the county that Indianapolis is based in. Not many county parties have paid staff, but in in Marion County, because it's the county seat, we did. So I was working as the executive director for that county party, and um, uh, somebody who I worked with uh, was on the board. And after work one day, she saw me in the parking lot, she said, Hey, why don't you come to the board meeting? Because I think we could use some, you know, new blood and fresh ideas and a young face. And so I was like, oh, you know, all right, oh, this sounds like something to do after work. Um, and got there and kind of heard some of the stuff they were working on. Saw that I could really um, help the organization, and I just kind of dove right in and started attending the board meetings. They made me a board member at the, the following meeting, um, and then just continued to do that work until the next elections came up and. Basically, you know, it was, uh, you know, who, you know, would put the time and energy into really trying to be a guiding force behind the organization. And I stepped forward and, and was happy to do it. It created a lot of work for myself, but I, I saw it as something that was important to do.
1: So, since you're not getting paid to be the president, what makes it worth putting in all the time and energy?
2: Well, you know, I, part of it is making sure that the Democratic Party is, you know, really doing right by our community. I think. Um, some constituencies like ours kind of are assumed that they're going to vote a certain way, and, um, and that, that doesn't always translate into recruiting candidates and having a, a platform that uh, speaks to our, our community. So I wanted to, and I saw a real opportunity to um, kind of have that access, access to the party and kind of put my thumb on the scale um, so that I thought, you know, that we would be making the best decisions and hopefully getting the best candidates and at least making sure that the party leadership kind of heard our voices.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely something that I feel like has been really important, uh, you know, the past few years especially. So could you tell us uh, a little bit about growing up?
2: Sure. So I was born in Danville, Indiana, which is uh, the county seat of Hendricks County, which is the next county west of Indianapolis. And it was very, um, at the time, rural. I'm 34 years old. So I can remember we had to drive to the next town over to go to any fast food. I grew up uh, just down the street from Danville in a little town called Avon. Now, anybody knows Avon today. There's a million fast food restaurants, but 25 years ago, that was uh, not the case. Uh, <laughs> so, kind of had a very kind of suburban upbringing. Um, you know, not. You know, I've heard a lot of horror stories from some in our community of what they've had to deal with, and I think we've all dealt with some of the heckling and the name calling and stuff like that. But uh, I was really pretty lucky to avoid some of the worst uh, sides of, of hazing and, and bullying, um, and just uh, you know, basically finished high school and uh, went to IEPUI for a year, but was studying informatics and new media design, and it just wasn't what I was passionate about. And around that time, the uh, George W. Bush presidency was kind of melting down into the, the insanity uh, that, that it became kind of right before we got Barack Obama. And so I was kind of motivated and got more interested in politics kind of in my mid-20s um, and then finally decided to go back to college when I was 27 or 26. Um, and it was kind of a tough path to kind of restart and basically have to do a whole four-year degree uh, over again at the age of 27. But I just dove in and, and got to work and was finally studying something I was excited about. And so uh just graduated there from IUPUI in 2014, in May of 2014, and since then I've just been trying to get out there and, and do – work that i really love there's been a lot of other jobs in the last 10 or 15 you know 10 or 12 years uh but uh being you know kind of close to politics and working in policy and and working with nonprofit and government organizations has been uh really where i wanted to to head so that keeps me you know interested in in also the party apparatus stuff as well
1: so what other things are you doing now
2: uh well i mean i am not with the marion county Democratic Party anymore. I'm actually working in uh, county government at the one of the county-wide elected uh, offices uh, in in the city-county building. Um, and between that and Stonewall, and being actually the voting member on the state central committee, so not only my president of Indiana Stonewall Democrats, but I'm the voting member, so I attend the state central committee meetings. I'm on the rules committee. So between The regular business of the State Central Committee and um, the Rules Committee and my full-time job, uh, you know, that keeps me pretty busy. I do get to southern Indiana every couple weeks because my uh, family has some property down near uh, Medora. And so uh, between all those things, I I definitely am able to fill the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, going back to earlier in your childhood, um, when did you come out and uh, what was that experience like for you?
2: Let's see. I was probably, uh, uh, you know, uh, late middle school. So I was probably in seventh or eighth grade. um, And, uh, you know, I remember it was obviously, I mean, incredibly stressful, um, even though I didn't deal with a lot of terrible bullying. I mean, I still grew up in a culture and a time that um, it wasn't real mainstream. There were no other um, kind of Respected, liked gay people in my high school that were kind of even anybody to look up to. Um, but I've always had a pretty strong um, attitude and um, kind of head on my shoulders. And so it didn't take me long to to really accept where I was, who I was, and, and be willing to put that out there. Um, it wasn't it wasn't easy. I had some, you know, most most of my friends were cool with it. Uh, I I probably only lost one or two um And really, my family was pretty good. But I can remember, you know, my, my mom's biggest concern, I think a lot of parents um, still have this concern when their kids come out as um, LGBTQ plus, and it's just that they don't want their kids to go through any more kind of pain and frustration than any normal teenager has to go through. So I can remember my mom being concerned about well, I just, you know, I love you, I'll always love you, but it's just going to be a movie that's going to be a harder path for you and things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, I can remember it being internally hard, hard for myself, kind of hard to say those words to myself, hard to, um, you know, to really, I mean, once you tell it, you know, start talking to yourself and tell yourself and accept that you're gay, it, you kind of cross this, you know, Rubicon of of knowing that you, you know, that you really can't go back and you don't want to go back, but it, it does change everything. So it was uh, you know probably more of an internal struggle uh, with myself than it was kind of uh, outside factors making it difficult for me.
1: So what other groups besides Stonewall Democrats are you associated with in the LGBTQ community?
2: Um, let's see. I mean, eh, I have uh, participated in a few like indie pride events. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, going around to these pride events around the state. Um, it's been one of the things I was really interested in as president of Indiana Stonewall Democrats to make sure that we have a you know a statewide uh, presence, a true statewide presence. And so, as you mentioned earlier, we went to last year I think four pride festivals. We're slated to go to six this summer. Um, and interacting with all the local organizations, um, I mean, I know there's Pride Lafayette and I know there's Pride organizations in, in Bloomington, kind of making those connections um, has been a, a really interesting part of the process and has been, um, i just met a lot of really great people. Uh, but uh, I'd say that Stonewall Democrats is, is the kind of main, uh, the main way that I've, I've tried to stay connected to that community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um you got married recently, correct?
2: I did, I did. Yeah, I've been with my uh now husband for a little over 6 years, um but we it, it's funny we I put it off a little bit because uh we were heading into an election year and I was working in politics in 2016 and I just could not imagine trying to get married in the same year that there was a presidential election. So uh, pushed it off until 2017. We just got married uh, June 3rd, so I've been a newlywed for just just over a month. My husband's name is Eddie, and and it was a, a beautiful ceremony here in Indianapolis at a, a hotel called uh, Hotel Alexander. is uh, just a really great event and a small wedding, but just great to have so many you know pe- positive people around me. All the positive people, none of the negative people.
1: <laughs> Heartwarming.
0: Yeah, and congratulations. That's 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 amazing.
1: So, since the election, how have things in the Stonewall Democrat um, group changed? like what are you guys thinking over there?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I think like most people were frustrated you know yes. uh, you know, let me start with the frustration that Hillary Clinton got three more three million more votes than Donald Trump, so uh, yes, constitutionally he uh, you know was the winner because of our electoral college, but you know. I'd say immediately our frustration is how you know how does this happen when you know uh, what we think is a democracy is actually more of a representative republic democracy and uh, you know we end up with results like this and and then follow that with the kind of just cavalcade of shenanigans and tomfoolery because I can't curse on the air that we've been kind of subjected to uh, with this president and you know it's it's frustrating but uh, I think as Democrats we have to kind of Turn and look at ourselves, and and say, you know, you know, we we didn't, we obviously didn't give voters a real great reason to vote for us. To say we're not that other person isn't good enough. And uh, you know, until the electoral college changes, uh, you can lose by or you can win by three million votes and still become president. So you know, we you know we got as Democrats got to learn how to work within the system um, that that we're working within, and also kind of look at ourselves and say you know, what's, what's missing, missing from our messaging and what's missing from, from, you know, the energy that we're putting out there? And are we recruiting, recruiting the best candidates? And, you know, that kind of introspection goes on. And I, I like to think that our organization, our kind of arm of the Indiana Dem- Democratic Party is kind of at the forefront of trying to force those conversations, even when some people are a little uncomfortable with those conversations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Josh, we'll get right back to that. But first, it's time for our first music break of the evening. Ahead of her debut EP, Jade, due out this September, New York-based artist Miss White is reintroducing herself with a cheeky new song and video, Full Grown. Originally one half of electronic pop duo Governors, Miss White reemerged in 2015 under a new name that coincided with her personal journey to womanhood. As a transgender jazz pop musician, she's navigating uh, her medical transition and critiquing the male-centric music industry, one note at a time. Of her sound, Miss White says, Deep down, I really am a jazz person. Amy Winehouse is my all-time favorite artist ever, forever. And when I was learning to sing in high school, all of my influences were modern versions of jazz. It wasn't like Ella Fitzgerald or Diana Washington. It was more Amy Winehouse, Adele, Jill Scott, and Urkia Baru. Those kinds of people who took jazz and modernized it. I've been through a lot of different music projects, and this is my first one presenting myself as a trans woman. It makes a lot more sense to me and feel a lot better about it. Part of my transition is just making sense of music and how me as an artist fits into me as a person. The first thing I knew was that it makes more sense to say I'm a woman. It's going to be a journey. With Full Grown, here is Miss White.
3: It's no place to be, it's one big fallacy, mmm, I had a ride, cause I'm mad about the boy, cause he's haunting all my dreams taking all my joy it's no place to go it's just on tv shows Mm -hmm. you might think i'm bright but i'm not even full grown i don't want to say it's love if i if i don't know i don't know so just let it go Your charity barely fancy friends. It seems so overrated. Do you really want to recreate it? No, I don't know. So just let it, let it, let it, let it go. I don't. time to beg. It's time to rehearse. How come you never show why you love
0: full-grown by Miss White, and we're back uh, on Blooming Out with Josh from the Indiana um, Democrats, or sorry, the Indiana Stonewall uh, Democrats. Josh, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much again for having me. And so we uh, left off from the music break talking a little bit about uh, the election last year. Um, What has the presidency looked like for the LGBT community so far?
2: you know it's funny when um when president trump you know was running in the late summer and early fall you know there he kept kind of giving some overtures and to make some people in the community think that he would be okay on on lgbtq rights and um you know i can even remember seeing little snippets like oh his his children have so many gay friends and how could he not be good for it? you know be okay surely he won't be like some of the conservative uh republicans on the far right uh, but I mean, to be honest, I think he's been—I re- think he's been really bad for our community. Uh, we just went through a Pride Month, uh, the first Pride Month in in decades, where uh, there was no declaration from the president, um, kind of uh, outlining the importance of Pride Month and and what our community goes through. And so, to completely ignore that um, to me is just uh, kind of unfor- unforgivable, unforgivable from our standpoint. Um, you know obviously we haven't had any legislation go through that affects us but i think part of that is he hasn't had anything go through really um uh, the agenda um that he you know kind of came to the presidency with of building a wall and and all these other kind of divisive things even those have not um come to fruition so i mean luckily uh we've been mostly spared um there was a, a little bit of a brouhaha when he uh, signed what was kind of similar to a REFRA or religious freedom kind of uh, executive order like a month or two ago, but it was very watered down. It was not nearly as um, kind of uh, intrusive as the REFRA law we have here in Indiana. So um, it it certainly has been a net negative uh, for our community, and I, I just don't see a lot of hope of it getting better for us.
1: So how are the Stonewall Democrats fighting for LGBT rights for Hoosiers?
2: Well, you know, part of uh, what's important is to get people elected who respect our community and understand the needs of our community. And so, a lot of what we focus on in these uh, kind of off years and when there's not an election a couple months away is building the organization to um, have the contacts and the email list and the funds and the volunteer list in order to really um, leverage the people power required to win elections. Um, you know, in order to, to have better laws and better outcomes, you've got to have better leadership. And uh, the bottom line is the Democratic Party has been a better friend of the LGBTQ plus community uh, than the other party. So, you know, what we concentrate on is building the organization so that when we get close to an election and we can start rolling out those voter contact things like uh, knocking on doors and making phone calls to find out where the voters are on issues and to, to kind of boost our candidates, um and to uh you know um make sure we have uh, a lot of help on get out the vote on election day you know the one thing i tell people sometimes you know if there's if you can pick two days a year to to help a candidate you like those two days ought to be um primary election day and general election day uh, if you can uh if you're off that day or if you can help on that day that's you know that's the day that it, it really matters that's uh, the day that everybody can go vote we have some early voting uh, around the state but um that uh, kind of collective action of getting out the vote on Election Day, calling voters, offering them a ride to the polls, that kind of grassroots organization is what turns the tide in, in close elections. So, um, you know, we do a lot of repairing and building the organization leading up to those really important, you know, events of Election Day and the few weeks leading up to Election Day when people are absentee voting. Uh, Right now, one thing we're working on that's somewhat unrelated is uh, ballot signatures. Even incumbent senators like Senator Joe Donnelly need 500 signatures from every congressional district, Um, and so part of what we were doing down at Evansville Pride Picnic uh, a couple weekends ago was getting signatures to get Joe Donnelly on the Democratic primary ballot, and, uh, you know, that's something that just about anybody can help with. And I know that if you go to his website and send him a contact, and and want to help with something like that, um, that they'll get you directed in the right place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we kind of talked a little bit earlier about, you know, that the last election cycle was definitely far from perfect, including the the Democrats. But what's what's something that the Stonewall Democrats or the Democratic Party as a whole can do to do it better next time?
2: Well, I mean, a couple things. I think one big thing is is our message. I think that, um, you know, we need to be out front on some issues that people, uh, that are important to people and that people feel strongly about. I've been kind of harping on on party leadership for a while, that uh, the marijuana issue is one that, um, you know, one of these parties, either Democrats or Republicans, eventually is going to come around to. And when they do, uh, they're going to get a lot of votes for it. And I think it's uh, pretty common sense. And I think that, uh, the kind of energy behind that issue is only building when you see how Colorado's doing with their tax base. And, you know, so I think message and being willing to be open to what a lot of Hoosiers see as common sense ways to proceed with things, uh, not worrying about some of the kind of overly safe <laughs> feelings of, oh, should we touch that? I think we need to be a little more bold. I think our messaging on a lot of issues needs to be more bold. I think we need to talk about um, uh, a minimum wage that is actually a w- living wage. Um, I think at the national level, we need to be pushing for nationwide uh, employment and housing non-discrimination. I mean, we have marriage nationwide legally, but um, in many states, including Indiana, you can be fired from your job, you can be denied housing, and it's totally legal. So uh, I think if we could stick to these really important issues, um, things like minimum wage and uh, some of the issues within our community, I think that you know, you'd get a lot better response than kind of trying to be Republican light. And I think the other side of that, so messaging is one thing, really getting ourselves together on that. Uh, The other thing is this um, grassroots level organization and and work on Election Day and leading up to it. Uh, In Marion County, we ran a a very robust Election Day program with um, team captains checking on every polling location in the county and and uh, I think I had 300 phone bankers, 250 burner phones running on Election Day uh, last year. I mean, it can be done at a smaller level and with you know with uh, less resources. But if every county, if every locality had some kind of program uh, to identify Democratic voters, remind them it's Election Day, get them out to vote, and and also do some of the work ahead of that as far as knocking on doors and identifying those Democrats. Um, you know, we could get our voters out to out to vote. The bottom line is, is Democrats lose elections because Democrats stay home in off years and and don't vote at the same rate as as conservatives do. So, um, you know, we'd win every election if every Democrat went out and voted every year. So that's part of you know, part of the work that we need to do and make sure that our brand is uh, you know is healthy and that people respect it.
0: Yeah, I mean, and hopefully, you know, people going out to vote. I you know I hope that everybody learned. or at least Democrats learned their lesson the first time, you know, that we really do need to go out and we really do need to vote to make sure that what happened, you know, this election cycle, uh, you know, definitely won't happen again. Um, Voting
2: is so so important.
0: Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, what's been the biggest challenge that you faced uh, with the Stonewall Democrats?
2: You know, uh, I'd say the thing that I, I wanted us to to do better at that I think we, we've we struggled with a little bit is is raising money for candidates. And, you know, part of that is just because of the campaign finance world we live in, which is, you know, to run for governor, you got to raise $3 million. And to run for a state house race, you need a couple hundred thousand. To run for Congress, you need a half a million. I mean, for an organization like ours to, to try to actually raise enough money for a candidate to, to really um, push the scales on that, it's difficult. It's uh, it's hard, and a lot, you know, almost all races, um, everything above kind of county level and city level are at this, um, you know, fundraising uh, amount that it, it just makes it really hard for our organization to to make an impact there. Um, so I'd say that's where um, where I personally feel like we haven't done enough. But I, it doesn't mean I'm giving up. It's just uh, it's a uh, kind of a, a learning experience, and you just keep keep trying to do what you can for candidates that you believe in and try to support them any way you can
1: so how do you plan to raise funds and improve these challenges you're having with Stonewall Democrats?
2: Well I mean uh the organization itself is is fine and so just between membership and things like that we're able to to be at all these uh Pride events and, and have T shirts and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I mean, as far as how to you know be more effective in kind of helping candidates monetarily, it's uh, I guess it's you know more more fundraisers. We obviously have plenty of time to plan on that. There are literally no elections this year. Um, so I'm hoping to put together a more robust kind of fundraising schedule. Um, a lot of it will be probably geared towards uh, Senator Donnelly. He's the only statewide um, federal candidate, I should say, um, here in Indiana that we'll have on the ballot. Um, but uh, I think, you know, part of it's pre-planning, and so the last uh, year, year and a half, uh, as we were heading into this uh, presidential cycle, um, kind of planning on the run didn't allow for us to, to raise as much for the governor candidate, uh, John Gregg, um, but, uh, you know, going forward, I'm hoping we can have a more detailed plan in place and kind of a scheduled fundraiser so that even if, you know, we're never going to be able to uh, match the, you know, the the money coming in from uh, some of the really big donors like uh, corporations and unions and things like that but if we can at least uh, raise enough to uh, kind of get their attention and and make sure that they're listening to the needs of our community then then that will be a success
0: awesome and uh we're going to come right back to this josh but we've got uh, another quick break uh, and then we'll go ahead and come back uh, to this in a few minutes
4: This is listener-supported WFHB, Bloomington, Bedford, Ellotsville, Nashville Community Radio for South Central Indiana, online at wfhb.org. Uh, the weather today looks like there's chances of thunderstorms today and tomorrow, and then a pretty sunny Saturday and Sunday with lows in the 60s and highs in the 80s. And now back to Blooming Out.
1: Now it's time for our second music break of the evening. Natty Vogel's debut EP, Serving Body, is out July 26th, and for an artist who's been gigging on the downtown New York cabaret scene since 19, this is quite literally the most complete body of work he has served. Quote, I first played Cannibal live after coming back from my first solo tour in China, and my colleague and dear friend, Raphael Le Loup, immediately heard the whole orchestration in his head and just from the piano part just from the piano part when he sent me a midi demo of his treatment i was jumping around my weird circus apartment for joy like this is my sound but orchestral pop takes so long takes a long time to make diy so fast forward a couple years to its uber glam single release party on the rooftop of hotel Ch- chantelle with full live orchestra and open bar and cute costumes and about song craft in general for me It's always a discipline. Effort is a limited resource. There are things in life I will honestly never want to do. We all have to choose what we excel at and what we can forgive ourselves for being idiots at. For me, songwriting is like taking care of myself. I never begrudge the time I spend working on a song. It never feels like something I feel obligated to take care of. I just love it too much. From his debut album, here is Natty Vogel with Cannibal.
5: Wants to eat me, but I don't want to be eaten. But I want to be wanted to be eaten. Am I asking for too much now? Tell me, darling, truly, I finally found someone has got the equipment. They know how to use it, but I'm not equipped to know how to be used by it. Am I in for That I want them to think that I want Them and only them to eat me Am I asking a tumour? the need you to want to be lied to
4: Support for WFHB and Blooming Out comes from the back door, downtown's Bloomington's Queer Bar dance club and venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there's something for everyone every day of the week. The back door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar. more information on Facebook or online at bckdoor.com. Bloomington out is also supported by the Coryland men's Chorus. Bloomington's premier chorus for gay, bi, and trans men and their allies. More information can be found at quarryland.org. And now back to Blooming Out.
1: You're On Blooming Out, and for one final time this evening, we welcome Josh Peters, the president of Indiana Stonewall Democrats. Thanks for having me.
0: So um, one of the things that I've been just waiting to talk about um, is Mike, Mike Pence. I, I hate to like, you know, say it. But, um, you know, that's one of the things that when he tried to pass his religious freedom bill a few years ago, that it was like, I, you know, everybody thought that this was probably the end of his career. And then when he was nominated for vice president, what was that like for the Stonewall Democrats?
2: You know, I'll be honest, that when it first happened, um, because at that point everybody thought Donald Trump was going to lose, I shouldn't say everybody, most people assumed that Donald Trump was going to lose, you know, we looked at it as kind of kind of a double-edged sword. It was, uh, wow, we're happy he's not going to be our governor anymore, because criminy, he is a disaster. Um, but on the other hand, you know, the person who replaced him on the ballot, Eric uh, Holcomb, um, is, you know, not... An extreme religious conservative, um, much harder to beat. I would say that if uh, if um, Mike Pence was the candidate for governor this last time around, that uh, John Gregg probably would have won. Um, and so uh, it was kind of bittersweet. It was happy to see him go, and we assumed that would be the end of his career. Uh, but sad because we had a much harder Republican to beat. And in the end, um, although you know Governor Holcomb is definitely better and and less divisive. Um, I still think any Democrat could do that job better and represent our community better. Um, but then, you know, he surprised uh, Governor Pence surprised us all and the world when when he was on a ticket that actually won. Um, and you know, I I'd say that moment was I'd say pretty scary for uh, for our leadership and for our community. Um, we've seen some of the divisive stuff that he said about our community over the years, and and the way that he um you know is able to kind of um, brush off criticisms um that are that are valid uh, that have to do with uh, the way he talks about our community and the way he feels about our community and and for him to still you know ascend to the vice presidency was was tough and frustrating and um as much as we want to see Donald Trump gone we know that uh, the next person in line is is uh, Mike Pence so You know, the fight continues. I think um, part of our organization's job is to have that institutional memory to say we remember what you said about us, we remember what you did to us, and uh, now that you are on the national stage, and once you take that next step and try to run for something else, likely president, believe me, we will be there to remind you and remind the media of all those things that you said about us and did to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we also wanted to ask you, you, you talked a little bit about Governor Holcomb, and it seems that, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's a little bit more center-right than, you know, Mike Pence was like, right, right.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I, I think he's a, a little more pragmatic and not so driven by religious conservatism. So I think Mike Pence, whether it's part of his persona or really part of who he is, um, kind of bases a lot of his policymaking out of this very religious conservative standpoint, and so it it was almost impossible for him to kind of uh, to moderate on social issues like those that affect the LGBTQ plus community. Whereas Governor Holcomb is, a, I think, a more shrewd politician. I think he's a more flexible politician, and so uh, you know, just saw recently, I think it was just today that uh, you know the I think the hip 2.0 or you know some form of. Government healthcare here in the state is going to start covering um, overdoses on heroin, which it hadn't before. I mean, that's the kind of thing that uh, Mike Pence would have never done. But uh, Eric Holcomb, as kind of a, a more shrewd politician and not so moored to the religious conservatism, is it's easy for him to say, "Oh yeah, let's yeah, I can handle that. We can do that. I won't lose the base uh, if we go that way." And and like I said, it'll make that alone will make him a lot lot harder to beat.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Josh, uh, thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight.
2: Hey, i got to at least uh, plug the website and stuff. Do I have 30 more seconds?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead.
2: All right. So I just want to let people know that uh, obviously you can be an official member. It's $25 a year for an annual membership, and you can do that on our website. Or if you just want to check out the organization more, www.instonewall.com. Follow us on Twitter at instonewall.com. And if you want to email us, you can email us at instonewall at gmail.com.
1: Wonderful. Thanks again, Josh, uh, for joining us.
2: Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate being here. You guys have a good rest of your day, okay?
0: Yeah, you thank you. You too. All right, take care. And it is now time for your weekly LGBTQ plus news headlines. Uh, and this first story is from LGBTQ Nation. The LGBTQ rights movement has experienced great success over the past 35 years, passing laws and fighting court cases to make discrimination against the LGBTQ people illegal. In the next five years, all of that is probably going away. And there won't be a path to reclaim that progress for at least a generation, if not two or three. Late last month, the conservative plan to end the LGBTQ rights movement, as we know, snapped into clear focus. Their long-term strategy for the Supreme Court is to do two things. First is to interpret uh, Obergefell v. Hodge as narrowly as possible, uh, such that the decision only guarantees the right to get your name on a license and a death certificate. The second is to lay the groundwork for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 uh, to nullify almost all legislation, case law, policies, and regulations protecting lgbtq people to achieve both all they have to do is to uh, keep planting the seeds in dissents to court opinions and wait for justices kennedy and or ginsburg to retire we have at least three if not four supreme court justices ready to roll back marriage equality by allowing states to reduce the legal rights of same-sex partners even more dangerous uh... Then this attempt to tear down Obergefell is how they are opening up the aperture to RFRA as a legal justification to ignore civil rights laws. In previous years, the Supreme Court did not have the votes uh, to take up cases involving vendors refusing to serve LGBTQ people in states where LGBTQ people are uh, legislatively protected from such discrimination. That all changed after the death of Justice Scalia and the addition of Justice Gorsuch. Uh, A religious freedom exemption to public accommodations means a religious exemption to every other facet of civil rights law. This includes housing, credit, employment, education, athletic, public services, and etc. Going one step further, the conservative long-term goal is to make it difficult or impossible For employers to enforce their own non-discrimination policies because they will be legally required to accommodate the religious beliefs of employees who wish to discriminate. The odds of these outcomes coming to pass appear very high because while it will take a number of steps to get there, at each step the adverse outcome appears nearly inevitable. The Trump administration is likely to replace between one and three more justices during the first four years of his term. In short, we are likely on a course for the major policy, legislative, and legal priorities of every LGBTQ rights group in the U.S. to become impossible in the next five years and to give up most of the institutional progress of the last 30 years.
1: Our next news article comes from QZ.com. As the American author John Steinbeck once said, you can only understand people if you feel them in yourself. That appears to hold true for the many Americans who feel discriminated against, according to a new study. It found that black Americans are far more likely to perceive the prejudice experienced by the LGBT community than their white compatriots. Nearly three quarters of black Americans believe LGBT people in the U.S. face a lot of discrimination, according to the study by the Public Religion Resource, Research Institute, a nonprofit that tracks trends in public opinions. Researchers surveyed 40,000 people across all 50 states on their perceptions of discrimination in the U.S. By comparison, nearly three-quarters of Hispanics believed gay and lesbian and transgender people experienced discrimination. White Americans were more divided on the discrimination the LGBT community faces, with roughly half agreeing that gay, lesbian, and transgender people face a lot of discrimination. Americans' perceptions of discrimination differed with age and gender. Women were more likely than men to believe that immigrants, blacks, and lesbian and gay Americans experience a lot of discrimination. Overall, younger men and women were significantly more likely to hold these views than their older counterparts. While black Americans sympathized the most with bias against the LGBT community, the pattern didn't hold when asked about marriage equality. In this case, white Americans were the more sympathetic group. A majority of white, Hispanic, and mixed-race Americans favored same-sex marriage. Fewer than half of black Americans supported same-sex marriage. Though less than half of Asian Pacific Islander Americans perceived gay and lesbians to experience a lot of discrimination, a strong majority supported same-sex marriage. Views about gay marriage split along political lines as expected, though age made a big difference.
0: That article I find, I find it kind of interesting, you know, that the fact that, um, you know, racial minority groups sympathize with the community more. You know, I know that, you know, each minority's experience is completely different, you know, and you can't compare them. But I think that, you know, being a part of a minority, whether racial or sexual, you know, I think makes you more sympathetic to, you know, other groups who are experiencing, you know, difficulties. Yeah,
1: it definitely opens your eyes, um, you know, being a part of a minority, you experience discrimination more. So it makes sense that they see it that way.
0: Yeah. And I want to go back to the, the first article, which was a li- rather dark, in my opinion. But I mean, I think that it's completely, you know, I think it's definitely valid. Uh, you know, th- that's something that really worries me is that you have, you know, justices that are getting to be old enough to, to you know, retire or leave the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, if a justice that is, you know, very conservative gets put on the bench, you know, there's no way for them to leave. They're there for life. So I don't know. It just I don't know. It makes it scary to me to think that, you know, yeah, if that were it's to happen. it's a big
1: commitment. A lot of years.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, our third article is also from LGBTQ Nation, which is where our first article came from. The driving force in Texas behind a bathroom bill is pushing back after the Republican House Speaker Joe Strauss was quoted as saying he didn't want a suicide on his hands over efforts to restrict which restrooms transgender people can use. In the story published by The New Yorker on Monday, author Lawrence Wright wrote that Strauss told him about a senator coming to his office with a proposed compromise just before the bill collapsed in May. I'm not a lawyer... But I am a Texan, said Strauss, according to the magazine. I'm disgusted by all of this. Tell the lieutenant governor I don't want the suicide of a single Texan on my hands. Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has spearheaded the push for a North Carolina-style bathroom bill in Texas, and a spokeswoman said he did not send any senators to Strauss's office. She said the bill has never been about discrimination. Strauss is the powerful leader of the GOP-controlled House, and for months has gone against Abbott and Patrick, as well as most Texas Republican lawmakers, in his public rejection of efforts to impose bathroom restrictions on transgender people. Leaders of Equality Texas, an LGBTQ rights group, and Texas Completes, which says it has gathered uh, signed opposition from more than a 1,000 companies, including Amazon and American Airlines, said they were glad to see a leading Republican share concerns that opponents have voiced for months.
1: Well, I don't know what makes that guy the god of bathrooms and who can use what, but I think he just needs to step back and realize that it's just the bathroom.
0: yeah yeah i mean that that's my thing on it too and i'm glad that there's at least you know one republican lawmaker in texas who has finally come around i don't necessarily know about his reasoning for coming around like he almost kind of sounds sarcastic in my opinion but you know i'm at least I, i think that anybody who wants to help the cause is welcome
1: our final news article comes from newsweek Facebook has refused to install a crucifix emoji after conservative Christians demanded to know why they didn't have their own reaction button to rival the ones created for LGBT pride. Evangelist Joshua Fernstein, who is best known for attempting to order a cake from a Florida baker that bore the slogan, We Do Not Support Gay Marriage, in 2015, shared a post asking Facebook where the crucifix emoji was. His June 25th post, originally created by Facebook user Hikmat Hanna, has been liked more than 28,000 times and shared more than 9,000 times as of July 4th, with a number of Facebook users commenting in support of his stance. One user wrote, Remember God used the rainbow as a promise never to flood the earth again, but he will burn it with fire, so get ready. You cannot use a symbol that God created and pervert it without repercussions. But in an email to the Huffington Post, the social media site confirmed there were not current plans for a Christian emoji to be added to the list of reactions available.
0: I just can't. I can't take that seriously. I'm sorry. Like, wanting a crucifix emoji. Like, I just, I mean, (laughs) I'm like, as you were reading it, I'm trying, like, not to completely laugh. I mean...
1: What would what? you even use that for? Right. Like, when is that relevant? I don't really
0: feel like emojis are supposed to be used to express your religious beliefs. I mean, I think that there's like the prayer hands emoji, and I feel like that's sufficient. <laughs> like you don't, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, don't get, I don't get it. It's, Just no.
1: use the prayer hands, that's enough.
0: Right. <laughs> and it's now time for our final music break of the evening. Berlin-based music project Hand Jerks. The brainchild of artist Julian Bauer brings a sense of theatricality to a new music video on uh, On A Verge. The black and white clip is shot like a psychedelic silent film scored by a riotous, warbling track off of Handjerk's debut EP Indexical. (laughs) Handjerk's EP Indexical will be released on New Pangea, (laughs) July the 14th. From Hand Jerks, here is On A Verge.
6: Even if you tried, I'd give you more than you could ever give me, but I'm on a verge. Just met my limit, broke my bones so many times, but X-rays won't show you. Fractures. They're just like sciences, but I'm lacking all it is. me.
1: Welcome back to Blooming Out. To finish tonight's show, it's time for your weekly LGBTQ area event calendar. HIV testing will continue to be provided by a positive link throughout the summer on the first and third Thursday of each month at the LGBTQ Culture Center. This free confidential 20 minute testing can be scheduled by contacting the LGBTQ Culture Center.
0: An IU staff member has formed a meetup group open to Bloomington area LGBTQ plus adults of all ages. If you are in town and would like to join like-minded folks for fun social activities, learn more by visiting www.meetup.com slash Bloomington LGBTQ social dash meetup.
1: Join the Indiana Rainbow Chamber of Commerce for their July Business After Hours from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on July 12th. The group will be partnering with Indiana Youth Group for this event, as they will be the host, along with Ashley Kistler. Indiana Youth, group new, Indiana Youth Group's new building is located at 3733 North Meridian Street in Indianapolis.
0: Dr. Jay Puckett, a researcher at the University of South Dakota, is conducting a research study on transgender individuals' experiences of stigma. If you're transgender and ages 16 and up, visit the Blooming, Blooming Out Facebook page or our Twitter handle uh, for more information on the study.
1: Bloomington Pride Fest will be a day-long celebration on Kirkwood Avenue on Saturday, August 26th. Note the new name change, as this was the previous Bloomington Pride Summer Fest. More information can be found on Facebook.
0: If you would like to add your event to our calendar, email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. That is all the time that we have for you this evening. We would like to thank you for tuning in tonight. If you are interested in volunteering here at WFHB or for our show, contact volunteer at wfhb.org. You can also call us at 812-323-1200, tweet us at bloomingoutwfhb. Visit our Blooming Out Facebook page or find us on Instagram.
1: The executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shady. The associate producer and music director is Grace Thumser. The news director is Olivia Davidson. Our board engineer is Jesse Grubb. And the assistant board engineer and social media coordinator is Josephine Douglas. Finally, our theme music is an original composition produced for Blooming Out by Aaron Gage.
0: And for Blooming Out and Jesse Grubb, I'm Colin Schasberger. Please tune in again next Thursday at 5.30 p.m. and visit us online at bloomingout.com. Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus radio program, airs every Thursday evening here on WFHB at 5.30 p.m. You can also stream us 24 hours a day, seven days a week on WFHB.org or bloomingout.com. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week to Blooming Out.